Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. This week's episode is a recording of a conversation produced by Tiffany Earle and Anelody Milne, the founders of Lemmy. We've done our best to enhance the audio of the 20-year-old conference call. While the sound may not be the best, the content is a classic. Well, we're excited about about this year. We are so pumped, and we need to let you know that on your uh, schedule, it will tell you what we're talking about, and there's a little note on there that every call is subject to change. Today's call is specific to your classes. The, the name of today's call is The Language of Freedom. We realize that we have Scholar Project teachers on with us, and we have some parents who elect to pay for the calls, and we have administrators on with us. And we specifically dedicate our conference calls to the training of our teachers, and we train you to teach through freedom. That is our goal, is that we spend a year, because all of us have been trained in another system, um, we, we dedicate these calls to helping us be better teachers who teach through freedom. And the first roadblock that teachers hit when they go to teach a scholar project is the tendency to want to force and manipulate. And it literally can take a year to root that out because of the years we've spent in a system that it's not okay for someone to choose not to go that path. Last year, I remember, um, it, and we get our feedback, luckily, Luckily, we are in contact with our teachers, with you, either through phone or being in the school with you or by the weekly emails or by even word of mouth sometimes. <laughs> we, someone will tell us what's going on in their school. So we have to stay connected with you. We have to, to be able to know what your needs are and be able to address them. Last year, we changed when Oliver DeMille was our guest speaker to address the need very quickly. Um, he came on at the beginning of the year and he spoke about what last year's roadblock was that it was on the other side of the spectrum. If you remember, a melody in the training held up the two sticks and said sometimes we see one stick or the other and it's a minus or a, a divide sign and it, it, we don't end up with the truth, but when we look at both sticks together, we either get an equals or we get a multiplication and the truth is huge. We see more of what the truth is when we see both sides of the stick or both sticks. And we had Dr. DeMille come and speak and address each of us specifically about when it's right to require and what it looks like versus having no structure, no requirements at all. And at the same time, sometimes we flip to the other stick and we think that in scholar phase we can require everything and put on... Um, more manipulation finally or, or whatever. So a large part of what we teach is dedicated to teaching through freedom. And the way Oliver put it is using judgment. Tiffany, you, you brought up really a, a very, very important point that people, I think, have a difficult time um, understanding that they're doing. You use the word manipulation. And um, when I first met you, it was one of the words that you use continually, and I never really quite understood what you meant by that. Can you go into that a little bit of uh, detail so that we can really get a grasp on what does it mean to manipulate? 
I, I we think we teach through freedom, but we're using manipulation. Yeah, sometimes we will manipulate. I, it, we have to remember the word judgment with this, because sometimes at one point it can be a manipulation word, another point it's not. That is why we spend an incredible amount of time explaining what a practice scholar student is going through and looks like versus an apprentice scholar. Because what you would use with a practice scholar student may be manipulation, whereas with an apprentice scholar student, it's not. And with a student who, say, is at the mentored scholar phase, it absolutely is essential. It's, it takes wisdom and judgment sometimes to even know. But, so I'll give a little example. When, when a student transitions from love of learning into the scholar projects and into scholar phase, and they come in as a practice scholar, it would be manipulation to um, have have them agree to do things that they um, don't even have the ability yet to do, and they have no um, track record of doing, okay? Because they haven't practiced it for a couple of years. So what so, you're saying is we offer them all of these uh, option, uh, options to do, on this list of things, this uh, the ten steps for Shakespeare and the the key of liberty ribbons, we offer all these things for them to do. If right, we, that we want them to buy into. That we want them to buy into. If right. we um, if we uh, put the kind of pressure them, on them. Yeah, if we to ask make them, them to, do them. To, yeah, to make them do it. You know, you're not going to get what you really want to get in the end if you don't do this kind of stuff. Right. You, if you put that kind of language on, it doesn't work because the practice scholar is an invitation to practice. It is an invitation to write these papers, and we want to inspire them. And we want to, to say, I know it's hard, and we want you to do it. And by the way, we have a reward if you do it. At the same time, if you choose not to, I love you anyway. And it's totally okay, and we accept you. And That's right. if you can't do it this year, we're so happy to invite you to do it next year. Right, and, and or maybe okay at the end of the year, it'll, you'll, it'll kick in and you'll do it. <laughs> right. We we expect you to, we want you to, and we hope you do, but we love you if you don't. And um, we want them to have the feeling of initiative and buying into it. Whereas the apprentice scholar comes in, this is after two years of practicing, and this is why it takes wisdom and judgment. Apprentice scholar comes in to TJYC or to Pyramid Project, and you lay out what is required to certify and you say, these are the things that are absolutely required by you if you want to certify. And by certifying, we hope that you end up knowing what a statesman is and desiring to be one. And, and blah, blah, and blah, 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 you, blah, blah, blah. I will tell you, I actually even sit down with, with the students, the parents, and I explain to them the three-semester the three program, or that it is three semesters. I go over the details of what they will be doing, and then I say, you know what, if you're not interested in studying this, it's so okay, you don't have to come to my class. You can go somewhere else. Right. But and if I, you're interested in studying this and committing to doing this, then I invite you to come along and let's do it, but these are going to be the expectations. Right. And by now, they have a track record and know if they can commit. Right. No, I know it's a leap. But they could, they've built their study hours up to four hours of consistent, and they're going to try and get them up to eight or whatever it is. 
they know that they're going to grow in this process and they can look at themselves and, and know, yeah, this is something that I can reach for. Whereas a practice goer does not know themselves well. They're spending two years finding out about themselves and gaining some basic skills. Yeah, I think if I had asked my daughter Lacey uh, a year and a half ago, you know, can you commit to writing nine papers? Can you commit to... No way. uh, Or, you know, even uh, using one of those scholar contracts, you know, here, sign this and and tell me that you're going to do this, something that I decided for her to do. You know, if I had asked her to do that, she would have said, "I, I don't know if I can, Mom. I don't, I don't think I can. I, I never have." Yeah. But because yeah. we were very carefully and just saying, "Hey, let's do this together. See if we can, ha- you know, make this." And hey, if you want to earn these ribbons, we can do these ribbons. And if you, you know, if you don't, that's totally fine too. But she got started doing it. She loved it so much. She realized how much she loved the way it felt to know things. She loved the way it felt to be able to sit down and write, you know, three or four paragraphs at a time. She loved it so much that she just said, yeah, you know what? I totally think I want to get that reward at the end now. You know, in the middle of it, she decided that's when she wanted to get it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a a wonderful, delicate process. And, and, you know, with those... those, um, uh, you you mentioned the binding agreement between the student and and the parents, and that's a wonderful tool to use between students and parents when they are practice scholars. Even uh, to have to in the we teach in the parent mentoring seminar <clears throat> each week to go through what the student is desiring and teach them the difference between goals and commitments, and it's easy to set up and show them the benefits they get as they grow in in their character and in their integrity and in their even their content goal. Right. Wonderful <clears throat> to show them and to work on those together between parent and student. Those are that's a wonderful tool to use. And then that it can be moved over to apprentice or mentored scholar later. Um but that's a very private thing. It's there's a lot of burden and responsibility and um, I don't really look at it as a burden. I really look at it as, uh, I don't know, something beautiful that takes place between parent and child. Right. But we we need to go on, and I, I mention these things because we realize some of the things that are going to happen in the first week of class. To um, Sometimes a teacher will think that they fail or that they are successful depending on how many students choose to move forward. Right. And... I remember um, being a witness to. Yeah, can I can, can I just uh, add to that? Yeah, we have to we have to be so careful that our ego is not tied up in this. Do you know I have taught Key of Liberty, Shakespeare. I've taught them all. Um, this year I'll be teaching Pyramid Project, and I it's it's very tempting for me. Oh, I'm Lemmy. I should be able to have successful students who do all these great things. Well, you know what? I have about the same amount of a success as every everybody else with these projects it because there's so many factors that have to be factored in. Number one, how much support are they getting at home? Well, you know what? Sometimes they just aren't getting enough, and I can't change that. That's out of my control. Another thing is um, how much how much does this children this child really want the knowledge that I have to offer them? 
that's a factor I have no control over. I can do my best to inspire, but some just don't choose it. That's we right. have to be so careful that our ego is not tied up into the... Ego, ego is the number one reason for manipulation. Ego and... Um, it is, because you think that you fail if they failed. And that is not true. I learned this by watching one of one of the people that I really look up to. I look up to Dr. Troy Hinkey so much, and I love his teaching style. I love his dedication. I love the life that he and his family lead, and he's an absolutely incredible teacher, mentor, um, administrator, all of it. And I watched in awe in his after spending years in a charter school at, at as its head, and I watched when they had to give an oral exam. The students had to pass the oral exam at the end of the year to, as a senior to graduate and get all their credits. And a third failed, a third passed, and a third got honors. And there was not very many students who, um, it was maybe like seven, or some. it was not very many students who were taking these exams. Well, the next board meeting, um, a board member said, we have got to ensure that every student taking that test passed. <laughs> and um, that, it, it was shocking. I'm sure that it was shocking to him. It, it was just manifest that he could not continue to teach through freedom in the charter school. There was an open space where he could, but through this, the state strings and the pressure from the district and even his own board would no longer allow um, Thomas Jefferson in its education or the way he worded it, the liberal arts, um, to be taught. In, in an environment of freedom. And um, he moved on to private schools where he could teach through freedom. So the reason why we bring this up first is because we have to have you all understand that the language of freedom cannot be taught in an environment of force. It's true. And, and the language of freedom, this is so wonderful, all of our practice scholar, well, all of our scholar projects and what we do in practice in apprentice scholar phase, we are laying the foundation. We know we are giving very specific um, things in vision and in mission, specific skills, specific abilities, and we are laying, by doing this, we are laying the foundation for freedom, for the language of freedom. And I want to, to lay out... <coughs> The, the principles of, of what we're going to go into specifically in the next few minutes. And here is the first one. And this is what we're doing with our students as we expose them to certain experiences, to specific classics, and to what we're doing in the classroom and at home. Here's what it is. If you know the vocabulary, then you can think the thought. So I hope you write this down. If you know the vocabulary or that specific word, okay, then you can think the thought. Hopefully our students' vocabulary and the is going to be increasing. Absolutely increasing. I know I'm I'm sure many of you have experienced this. If I go to a master's level seminar at Georgia College, 
where Dr. Oliver DeMille is teaching, or if I sit in his living room and talk to him. And I have to do it more secretly in his living room. <laughs> but at the seminar, I can do it openly on my page. I will come away <clears throat> with a list of between 3 and 15 words that I do not know the meaning of, that I need to learn and be able to use the meaning of. Do you have that same experience, Anelody? Totally. And you know what's so interesting is because um, I, I'm, I'm struggling with a word called pluralism. I, I'm, I'm admitting my ignorance here. Um, That's good. And <laughs> it's uh, I w- I've been I was introduced to the word about five years ago, and I see it all the time. I've I've looked up the word. I've um, say the word again. Pluralism. Okay. And um, Dr. Demille has talked about it in some of his lectures, and and I've spent time studying the word. What's so interesting is that um, I I still don't own the word yet. I still can't use it with confidence, yeah. but I noticed that um, people referring to uh, um, Marx use the word pluralism. Um, I I have come across it in cultural literacy with Edie Hirsch. He says he's he's a cultural pluralist. Um, there, so much of the philosophy of education. Uh, determines uh, it, what you stand on, determines whether or not you're a pluralist or not, or a dualist. And um, I, I, ha- I really, really know the etymology of the word. I know exactly, I know the meaning of the word, but I don't own the word yet. And I, I know that as soon as I'm able to own that word, I will be able to speak the language. Yes, yes. It, it's not something that we take a vocabulary list um, of 20 words and just can memorize the definition. Right. That is not the kind of vocabulary we're talking about here. Um, it's almost like if you take a math book and you've got the vocabulary at the back, and even if the vocabulary is only three pages long, a student cannot go home, memorize that, and own the material in that book. Right. It could take two years of intense work to own the three pages of vocabulary. Right. That is the kind of, that's what we mean when we say, if you know the vocabulary, you can think the thought. And and every time I come across the word, I say, okay, I know the meaning of that word, and I say it to myself, the meaning of the word. But until I really own it, I can't think where they're thinking. I can't come in. Tatiana uh, is teaching in a a charter school that uh, supposedly teaches the classics. And um, they are using all kinds of language that Tatiana knows. She's heard it before. And she's coming home and she's saying, okay, they're using this language. I know, that, I know the etymology of this language, and I know exactly the, the root of this language. Do you know it's not the language of freedom? Wow. It's, because kind, of like, it's kind of like when I, at that board meeting when they said, we've got to ensure that right. no student fails. Right. That was not the language of freedom. What what's interesting is in ensure that that word is not a problem really all by itself. Right. But if you say ensure against failure, that phrase That's is a right. problem and That's it actually right. comes I don't know if these people that were in this meeting knew knows this, but it actually comes from a phrase directly out of the legislation no child left behind. 
directly and not just out of that, it. That is also traced back. You know how you, in one of your parent mentoring seminars, I remember you did this. There, you go through progressivism. Right. You, I've seen you have that chart before. Right. It's also, what are the three things that you expose us to? Um, remember that? Yes. It's um, perennialism. Yes. Um, existent. I mean, uh, um, essentialism. essentialism. Uh-huh. Progressivism and existentialism. That's right. It's also in there, not in the perennialism, but in one of the other in, three categories. It's in pro, it's in progressivism. Okay, so it dates way back further than just No Child Left Behind. Right. It, it dates does. back to the uh, educational um, elite who have impacted our educational forms. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but you, I if you're familiar enough with the verbiage, all of a sudden. Like I said, Tatiana comes home, she says, Mom, they're using this word. I know that word. It belongs in this philosophy. That's they're right. teaching this. That's right. They say they're teaching the classes, but the classics, but they re- they don't understand that they're not. Or they're, they're teaching from a, a... You know, there are classical points of view that are not for freedom. That's right. Bottom line. That's right. And they're classics. And if we study them, then we can know, oh, yeah, that's not for freedom. That's um, why we study them. The, exactly. And the the thing that's so interesting about if you know the vocabulary, you can think the thought. Here's why. It is this kind of vocabulary comes with symbolism. It comes with imagery. It comes with an Deeper entire meaning. Ex- Experience, yeah, an experience. That, yeah. That's right. That brings the mind and the heart. And and in, if, for for instance, if we share, let's take the the movie Star Trek. All right. Um, There's a great so, scene in the yes. Star Trek. Uh, yes. I think it's Star Trek Trek Six. It's the it's the Borg one. And it's you know I'm a Trekkie. I I love Star Trek. And so. Um, when I saw this scene, I just about fell over. Yes. Because um, uh, it's with the Borg. The Borg is some this huge uh, assimilation machine that's going to come in and assimilate everyone in, in on Earth. And Picard and his crew have to go in and be the um, be the mediators and and fight the Borg because Earth doesn't have the slightest clue. It's Earth uh, several hundred years before. They go back in time, and the Borg is going to assimilate Earth. But something be- happens with Picard. Yeah, be- all well, they're of a sudden, assim- ego, right? They, gets they, in the way. They assimilate, they're going to assimilate Earth before um, they have a problem with Picard because Picard's such a problem. So his ego is really caught up into this whole, this whole thing, and he is not going to abandon ship, even though the Borg has has got it in its grasp, and the Borg is actually. Um, infiltrated his ship and started to take over half the crew. They've sealed off half the ship, but he doesn't want to abandon the ship. And, and he, he tells, won't listen. He the, the red flags go up. He won't listen to his counsel. He won't listen to his first mate and to what people think he should do. He just is determined. He's going to meet his goal, which is not to leaving the Borg and on his terms. And he's going to do it his way. And they're not going to take anything from him. Right. And so and, in comes Guinan. No, that, no, that, no. In comes this. No, no, no. She's not even part of. In comes it? this uh, this young young girl from Earth right. who right. accidentally gets put uh, gets taken up to the ship because she gets hurt and they have to hurt they have to 
fix her, and so she gets accidentally stuck on the ship when the Borg takes over. And um, she watches this this uh, exchange between his officers and himself, and he says to his officers, I am not abandoning ship. These are your orders, and you're going to go forward. And they all say, okay, because they're military trained. They know their job. Even though they all disagree with him, they say, okay. And the girl from Earth comes up to them and says, what in the heck? Your captain is totally messed up. You can't follow him. And, he, and they said, he's the captain. We have to he, we have to take his orders. Well, she's like she's he's not my captain, so she walks into his office. She goes straight up to him and says, "You're gonna you're gonna destroy the ship. You're gonna destroy all your chances to actually do what you're trying to do. You're gonna kill these people if if they go forward with your with your um, orders." And he says. He says, it's my ship, I know the Borg, I know this. I, and all of a sudden she gets this image in her head of what's going on, and she says, okay, fine, Ahab. And until that moment, Picard was unmovable. But with the imagery and the symbolism of and Moby everything Dick. it meant, because they had a shared language, they, had, they both had that experience in Moby Dick, they had they had that shared knowledge. It's an entire package, and it was it's almost, not just a one line definition. It was almost as if a load of bricks was dumped on him in that moment when he heard, "Okay, Ahab," and he said, "I am. I'm Moby Dick. I'm going to go down with this ship, and all will be lost." And just in that changed. one word, she didn't even have to say, "You're an idiot." Because he wasn't listening to the logic. He wasn't listening to all the words. Nothing could persuade him except a shared <clears throat> experience. A shared story. A shared story. He, he that knew came the with outcome. more than words could give. He, he knew the end of the story. He knew the outcome. He knew exactly. He knew the personality of Ahab. Right. He understood he, what he was doing. And he stopped. There, there... We cannot lose the ability to communicate on this level. This is a level of communication that makes it possible to have freedom. In and the book Cultural Literacy, Edie Hirsch calls it background information. And he tells this story that I think is very interesting I'd like to share here. He says, my father used to write business letters that alluded to Shakespeare. This, these allusions were effective for conveying complex messages to his associates because in his day business people could make such illusions with every expectation of being understood for instance in my father's comedy business the timing of sales and purchases was all important and he would sometimes write or say to his colleagues there is a tide without further elaboration those four words carried not only a lot of complex information, but also the persuasive force of a proverb, exactly what we just talked about with the okay Ahab. In addition to the basic practice, practical meaning, act now. What came across was a lot of implicit reasons why immediate action was important. 
for some of my young readers who may not recognize the illusion, the passage comes from Julius Caesar, which is, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune, omitted all the voyage of their life, is bound in shadows and in miseries. On such a full sail, see, are we now afloat? And we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. To say there is a tide is better than saying buy or sell now or you'll cover expen- you'll cover expenses for the whole year or you'll fail if you fail to act right away you might regret it for the rest of your life. Wow. Wow. It's so powerful and it is so true. Forwards there is a tide. It gives an entire experience with imagery, symbolism, heart, and soul. Here's the next principle to write down. You know, the other th- the other reason for that is because um, we understand, we we know the whole story of of Julius Caesar. We we it's it's not just four words that we're hearing. We're hearing a whole story, a whole story flashes in front of us immediately, and all of a sudden. We have the, we feel the emotion, we feel the power, we we feel the passion in our hearts, and we're connected emotionally. All of a sudden, oh, there is a tide. That's right. Because if you can use the vocabulary with others who know it, you can have impact. You can communicate at a new level instantly. Instantly, and it takes both groups. That's the thing that that's the thing that's a clincher. It's amazing because then Edie Hirsch goes on to explain he could write that to his colleagues, and they wouldn't know what the heck he was saying. That's part of the problem. He says they lost language, and now he has to go into they have to go into more prose and more detail of explaining it. And the problem the problem is it's it's lost its passion by the time you've explained it. it. It's completely. It's not even the same communication. It is not the same communication. Even if you can explain it to the head, you've missed the heart because that is the next thing. If you can then communicate at this level, it touches hearts. This is what Edie Hirsch says. He says, my father accomplished that and more in four words, which may made quoting Shakespeare as effective as any efficiency consultant could wish. The moral of this tale is not that reading Shakespeare will help one rise in the business world. My point is a broader one. The fact that middle-level executives no longer share literate background knowledge is a chief cause for their inability to communicate effectively. I remember as a youth, having an incredible teacher in my English class. And we would go through probably two to three classics a month in that year. And it was in the field of literature. And it, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I was not um, literate in Shakespeare, but I was literate in the Bible. 
And what I found is here, I mean, even even in school, when I went to school, you did not necessarily talk about the Bible. Um, but here, all the literature that I was reading had biblical allusions. And I would catch them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that just meant da-da-da. I mean, I might be reading Thomas or, you know, Hardy or there. It didn't matter what classic it was. It might have been Dostoevsky, you know, the Russian author, or it could have been Tolstoy. Or I mean, I was reading the whole gamut. I was reading Hugo and blah, blah, blah. And, and most of, I only had probably four Shakespeare plays under my belt at that point. And, and so I could only catch a particle of the Shakespeare nuances that were in the literature, and they were there. And, but I could catch probably 80% or more of the biblical allusions that were there. And they are all over in the classics. Yeah, they this are. language is spoken in the classics. Which is one of the reasons, one of the foundational reasons why we study Shakespeare at a very young age. And it's one of our introductory um, classics Project. that we start, yes. Yeah. Do you want to go into more detail? I mean, go to the next principle, and then we can go kind of go back and cover some of the uh, how the projects do this. Yeah. Okay. Well, the second one is we have the first one, which is if you know the vocabulary, you can think the thought. That one, that one is <laughs> it, it's huge to grasp. It it sometimes um it's just weird to think. Gosh, if I know that word, I can think the thought. Absolutely. In fact. In the book 1984, um, Orwell was just a genius. He had to get a message out. He needed, he had passion, he had mission, he saw what was happening. I mean, and he, in, even in that book, it's very interesting that what happened was, of course, they couldn't read. They were trying to control the people's thoughts because then they could control them. And they, if you cannot control people unless you can control their thoughts. It was the same thing with the history in America with the slaves. Um, the thoughts had to be controlled or the people couldn't be controlled. How come they didn't want them to be literate? Because then they couldn't control their thoughts. Any books can get there. That's why Hitler had to burn all the books. He had to control their thoughts. I mean, there's such a link. It's such a... It, it's just everywhere. Well, even in 1984... They had, to, they had to give them their language and their vocabulary so that that's they could right. control their thoughts. That's right. They didn't want a ton of words for beauty. They wanted um, they one did, word. Exactly new one speak. word. That's right. It had to be new speak. That's right. And and then you can even tell who the renegades are because they don't speak the, that language. I mean, it's very very telling that language gives us away. And so, literally, if you could use the vocabulary, if you know the vocabulary, you can think the thought. And two, if you can use the vocabulary with others who know it, you can communicate at a new level instantly. For instance, I love this story. Anelody told me the story about her students, and it cracked me up. They they were. Um, oh, let me tell the story. Yes, tell them. Okay, we we were in a we were just at a homeschool gathering, um, and we were off with just a bunch of the homeschool families and their all of their children, and. Um, we were um, we were in a situation was a li- getting a little heated. There was a man who was getting angry with us and frustrated with us, and um, he was he was using very strong 
language and and his attitudes were kind of getting pushy and um one of the kids in well, the, the students were getting the, unhappy and tense. Yeah, they were really yeah, and they were getting really nervous. And these were, you know, moms with a bunch of little children with, you know, older and younger kids. And it, it, yeah, the the students were getting really tense because, you know, uh, you know, honestly, really our our homeschool children are not used to adults who act that way unless their parents act that way. And most of us don't. So it makes them a little uneasy and tense. Uh, I think to some degree public school children are more exposed to that kind of stuff and they can kind of blow it off a little bit. Um, not saying it doesn't affect them. but So, so it was getting really tense. And um, one of the kids in the group just said, boy, he's a dogberry. <laughs> and then immediately another one of the kids says, Yes. Oh, that some were, someone were here to write him down as an ass. <laughs> and everyone started to laugh. All the kids just, they knew the whole, they could see Dogberry in their mind and how ridiculous he is screwing up the words redemption and, and self, and what is it? What is it? Everlasting redemption and ever, uh, yeah. Ever, uh, Damnation. He he uses he screws up the words damnation and redemption. Anyway, they, they can see in their mind this this image, and it was so funny to them, and it diffused the whole situation. Not only that, it diffused the whole situation, but those two young men had the hearts of those children in their hands. Wow. They loved them. For fixing it for them. Yeah. Yeah. We're interrupting this broadcast to remind you to share and subscribe. Also, be sure and check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. It's kind of like you, you told me once that in your home, your mom had a phrase that immediately put all of the children on alert. Yes. And yes. You know, uh, when I was a kid growing up, my mother was one who was very intuitive. Um, we called her the prophetess because she almost always knew it was around the corner. And um, when we heard the phrase, something wicked this way comes, it's Shakespeare, uh, we knew immediately that she didn't have a, feel, a, a good feeling about this and that we were going to have to change course. All of us knew that. Yeah. And I as you grew up and you finally read the play, um, it, it just... It had amazing, able, yeah. It had amazing yeah. meaning to me, and not only that, is I tried to use it in on my someone own, who didn't on, in my own marriage. And when I said, "Oh, something wicked this way comes," when I was very first married, and my husband didn't have the slightest clue what I was talking about, and I had to explain it to him, it lost all of its effect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if we can use the vocabulary with others who know it, we can communicate at a new level instantly. And then three, when we communicate at that level, we touch hearts. And and that's what we're showing here. And in sometimes it, it's amazing. Anelody has a friend that she took through the TGYC course because what happens here, remember what we're giving experience and stories and it's starting to build the repertoire of freedom 
and tell the story about your friend who okay. started that amazing Well, I, um, one of my students, um, has, he graduated and went on, and, and um, he called me a couple of uh, weeks ago out of the brew. He says, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. You know, how are you? And we had this wonderful conversation. He said, you know, I just needed to call you and thank you. I wanted to let you know that TJYC has changed my life. I um, I found a business partner. He and I are in San Diego working, and we started a new company called Innovations or Innovators. And he said, um, we train um, people how to market their ideas. And he says, we have these little uh, training seminars that people come to, and we show them the, the business act- aspect of things. He says, the first thing that we teach them is about Gandhi. And I learned this from TJYC. He said, the first thing that we teach them is that Gandhi spent 40 years changing the hearts and the minds of the Indian people through Satyagraha. And he said, it took him 40 years to have a paradigm shift, but the people followed. They eventually did it. So the first thing we teach them is the first one of the first things I learned in TJYC. And they pay a lot more money for it than, <laughs> than I did. <laughs> he, yeah, I found it was amazing when you started to teach me the principles that he taught. And I want you to uh, email him and have him tell, tell them to you. Oh, um, one of them was the sovereignty principle, that you are sovereign. Right. That was one of the things that, that Gandhi had to teach the people. He, he, the paradigm that he was trying to get them to, to shift. And the first thing that he had to teach them was the sovereignty principle. Right. And, then, and do, do you know what's interesting is when we are in that Tytler cycle, if we get to the place of ap- apathy, the reason we get to the place of apathy in the Tytler cycle is because we have lost the language and understanding of sovereignty. And I think that's what what happened in our business field today is they think that they have to be an employee because they're no longer sovereign. Right, right. Well, it's in many aspects of our life. If we're not sovereign over our own education, if we're not sovereign over our own bodies in the medical field, I I watched my my sister. It it was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was sick. It it what made me sick. She had her baby. It was beautiful. The nurses were wonderful. The doctor was great. Um, she It was her first baby, and um, she wouldn't let down, you know, to nurse the baby. She the just, milk it, come in. Yeah, you know it takes time. <laughs> you don't get it in the first 10 seconds, mm-hmm. right? And she really didn't want them to feed her baby glucose water and stuff. She wanted the baby to learn to nurse, and she didn't want the baby to have a bottle nipple, which is so much easier, and then it would it would make the problem worse because then it would be harder for the baby to suck and harder for Sarah to let down, right? Mm-hmm. So she, on her own, said to, to my other sister, who had just had a baby a month earlier, so she was still nursing, she says to Cammie, Cammie, why don't you nurse the baby so that she can practice a little bit and then she'll work better on me and plus she'll get her nutrients because... This is getting frustrating that we can't get any liquid in her. So Cammie took the baby and nurses the baby just fine because Cammie's body's used to it, you know, and the baby could do it. And um, the nurses came in, and they're absolutely in the hospital. Sarah was not sovereign. The second she came in and signed that paper, she lost her sovereignty. She absolutely lost it. Um, 
luckily, Cammie had already fed the baby, and so the baby was fine because they were coming in to take the baby to give her the bottle, and it was not Sarah's choice. And um, because she had eaten, they didn't no longer have to give her the bottle, but they were furious that um, and made Sarah sign all sorts of waivers because Cammie had had a wet nurse, or Sarah had had a wet nurse feed the baby. <laughs> and they were liable. And so she literally, if they had known she was going to do it, Sarah would not have had that choice. <laughs> that is the funniest story I've ever heard. I know, but it's, it's indicative of the, the sovereignty principle that Gandhi had to change the paradigm of the Indians because they would not walk down to that ocean and get their own salt because they were slaves. And he had, took 40 years to take that scale off of their eyes. And if we look around us now to, to see our sovereignty, when you walk into a classroom at school, how much sovereignty do you have in the public school system? You know, like, um, how many days can your child miss before they don't get paid? And therefore, your child cannot miss more than nine school days of the year. End of story. Right? Right. I mean, I'm, the, I'm talking about real sovereignty here in our forms and in our systems. And, and this you, is the what, language. Tiffany, I, I want to ask, Tatiana, are you on? Yeah. The, uh, I, Tatiana's been going through her training for, for school, and it's been, it's been a, bit, a bit difficult for her. Uh, she she's teaching at this charter school. It's of course a public school. It's been a little difficult for her because she's she she has spent her entire life in freedom, right, Tatiana? Yeah. Have you have you ever felt like you weren't sovereign or you weren't free? No. Last night you said something to me. You said I have a realization. Will you will you share that with with us? The realization that you had last night because of this uh, this training of this slavery training? <laughs> well, I, I guess I, I finally realized that not everybody wants their children to be free um, or to see that they're geniuses. And that people, I don't know, I guess they don't really understand the level of happiness that they can have. Wow. What, what made you come to that realization? I don't know, I, I guess what really made it hit me, you know, like the whole training, the whole week we were working with mostly teachers and stuff like that and being trained in all these things. And then on Friday, um, a, a parent, a bunch of parents came and um, started explaining this, like, accelerated reading group to us and everything. And it finally hit me that the teachers weren't the only crazy people there. That, <laughs> that every one of the parents were the exact same way. I mean, they and then I and then I heard another conversation of one of the um, teachers who were just there in the mornings to kind of help manage the kids, and she has kids in the class, and she's like, "Yeah, well, I used to always like be worried about what my kids were studying and stuff, and, and get really frustrated because the teachers wouldn't be wouldn't like tell me how to help them or or allow me to help them very well. But then I realized, you know what? They know more than I do, so they they probably know more than my children's about my children's education than I do. So I should just, you know, leave them alone and let them do what they need to do. And I was just completely floored by that. I mean, it's their child, and you, you're going to trust to the expert because you're afraid of of maybe even trying to have influence on them and and allowing them to have a little bit of freedom. Or I don't know. It, it was just really interesting. It's it's a 
a big job once once as a society we've chosen the non sovereignty path. Does that make sense? Mhm. It it's it I don't know if anybody else in the room, like with my sister when she wasn't even allowed to have her own sister nurse her baby, I don't know. There were about ten of us in the room and I was the only one who was irate. <laughs> Do you know? Mm-hmm. I mean I will tell you right now, I, I know why. I I really believe that the word sovereignty, the vocabulary word sovereignty, really is not understood. You know, John Locke and his cohorts spent their entire lives defining the word sovereignty. When you read his his works, the word sovereignty becomes so active and so real to you, and the idea of sovereignty becomes so so important and and you get filled with this love of sovereignty when you read his works because he spent his life defining it yeah. and and refining the idea of sovereignty the reason we have the united states of america today is because of john locke and his idea of sovereignty that king the king is no long is no longer our sovereign but the problem is because we personally don't understand the word sovereignty. We think we're providing a, an environment of freedom in our homes or in, in our classrooms, and we aren't yeah. because we don't understand sovereignty. We think we're using the language, and we're not. Well, and that's why these exposing to these specific classics, it changes us. Like it changed your student, and, and and it goes out into the business world. It goes out into every aspect of our life. And so the example that Anelody gave from her previous student with Gandhi, um, that is just one of the experiences and the the entire the symbolism, the imagery, the knowledge, everything that comes with the whole package. That's what's happening with us and our students. We don't even we, we don't even know learning. when we're giving up our freedoms if we cannot speak the language of freedom. We don't even know it. Right. right. We're blind, you know, like Tatiana says, the, the parent says, oh, the, the, you know, I came to the realization I basically gave up because they know better. So I'm going to go ahead and just surrender my and she has no idea she's bought into an entire um, line of, of, yes, She's she's bought into that, but she's bought into a a whole theory that is on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's um the in we we're laying this foundation for our students and what was it that happened when one of your students with the pyramid project and they read they read oh, oh. it was with C. S. Lewis. Yeah. We were reading C. S. Lewis well, we were reading um Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And um, he he tells the story in there. In, um, he's, at the very, very end of the book, you know, he's, tr- he's trying to explain to people why Christianity works. And he says, let's take, for instance, there's this um, woman. Her, her name is Mrs. Bates, and there's this guy. His name is Dick Firkin. Miss, but Mrs. Bates is a Christian, but she's crotchety and she's and she's jangled all the time, and she's you know always saying, uh, always rude to people. And but there's and and but she's a Christian, you know, and 
and there's this this guy Dick Firkin, and he's not a Christian, and he's um, he's nice, and he's got good, you know, he, he's he's always you know very cordial to people, and and he's uh, you know he never he's never upset with people. He says you you if you look at those two people, they they seem that Christianity isn't working because she's a Christian and she's crotchety. And he's not a Christian, and he's he's very cordial and nice all the time. He says, you're asking the wrong question. He says, the question you need to be asking is, what would Dick Firkin and May Spates be like without Christianity? He says, what would Dick Firkin be like without the gift of his nice his nice disposition? And his good it, digestion. His his question was, if they applied Christianity as in its fullness, what would they? What would they be, be like? like? Yeah, that's the right question. And, and then all of a sudden, one of my students said, oh, "Pyramid Project, that's it. We have to learn how to write the ask the right questions." <laughs> that that that's part of the language of freedom. Asking the asking right question. Asking the right question, and he's now that he's seen that, he's going to see it throughout all of the classes. He'll right. he'll he'll see it in everything that he studies and everything that he reads that when there is actually good change, it's because the right question was asked. And we went back into mere Christianity and we looked at how many times C.S. Lewis said, "Oh, that's the wrong question," or "You have to ask the right question." He said it twelve times. The guy's a scientist. <laughs> wow! Wow! Well, it's about it's almost ten after nine. And we're excited about this year. We are so excited about the things that our students are going to be experiencing. Can I just reiterate something really quickly? Yes. I'd like to recap what we've we've talked about today. First of all, in order for us to be able to teach the language of freedom, which is what we're trying to do in in our projects, is number one, we have to create an environment of freedom. It has to be the right kind of environment. For apprentice scholars, it has to be an invitation to come along. For practice scholars. For practice scholars. For apprentice scholars, it has to be an invitation to commit. Does that make sense to everybody? First of all, practice is an invitation to come along, to try. Let's see if you can do this. The second level is an invitation to commit. Now that you know that you can do this, Commit to me that you can do the harder thing. Okay? Does that make sense? Uh, and then the other thing is, as as in our classroom, always, always creating the environment of freedom, the ability to allow them to fail. I have had this experience recently that's really breaking my heart. I have a young student that I've been working with for several years. He's become a very good friend of mine. And I have, <coughs> he's been in my home He's, 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 you know, we've, we've, as a family, really loved him. And um, he, right now, in his life, he's, he's graduated from TJYC. He's moving on to the next space of his life. He's trying to go into self-directed, well, he's had a little bit of self-directed scholar. But he's got some things emotionally he's got to work out. And I realized he has to choose to fail right now. I want to tell a story on that. Okay. I um two stories on that because it is something that is so real and it's not 
something that our words can explain. I remember when I was 17, I my mom had had an operation, and I came home and I looked at the door, and I did not want to step through those doors because I knew what was on the other side of the doors because I knew my mom had to stay in bed for three weeks, and there's eight kids in our family, and I'm the second oldest. So I knew what was on the other side of those doors. There was laundry, there was dishes, there was meals to cook, there were all my brothers and sisters, there was chaos. I knew what was on the other side of the door. And here I was holding my heavy backpack. I usually had between three and four hours of homework every night after coming home from school. So I knew what, you know, here I was holding my backpack and I knew what was on the other side of those doors. I just stood there because I sensed, I sensed something inside. I knew something inside, okay? And I took a deep breath and I walked through the doors and I went and sat down and I opened up my backpack and I got started on my homework. And immediately, um, little Katie came in. She was four years old. She had all these teddy bears. And she's like, will you play teddy bears with me? Will you play teddy bears with me? I'll be the princess and you be the da-da-da. And she puts them all on my lap and she's bouncing and dancing around the room. Will you play teddy bears with me? And I, I, you know, pushed off all the teddy bears, and I'm like, I can't. I've got to study. And I pulled out my biology book. And um, in comes my sister Sarah. She's doing cartwheels. This is, this is literally a snapshot picture of really what happened. She comes into the, the living room um, next to the grand piano. That's the room that I was in. And she's doing cartwheels, and she's doing cartwheels, and and she's like, Tiffany, watch my back bend. Watch my round off. Watch my cartwheel. Tiffany, watch. Watch me. Watch me. Look at me. Look at me. Watch me. Watch me. Look at me. Look at me. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I can't. I have to. I was studying my, the mitochondria. I was studying. I, I remember what I was studying. <laughs> and so I've got the pic, you know, the biology books open. And I'm looking at the stuff. In comes Jonathan. He comes in. He climbs up on my lap. Read to me, Tiffy. Read to me. Will you read to me? What is that? Wow, look at that. Look at those colors. Will you tell me what that says? He takes my book. He flips the page. Will you read to me? Will you tell me what that says? <laughs> and Sarah's all, watch my cartwheel. And I could hear my brother in the kitchen saying, um, dinner will be ready in two hours. I'm starting to cook it now. Where's Angie and Cammie? I need them to come do the dishes, you know? And um, total chaos all around me. And I just... Um, put Jonathan off of me. I um, said to somebody to go out of the room, and of course they didn't listen to me, and the thought comes into my head. And I knew I had three tests the next day. It was a Thursday night, and I had three tests the next day. And I'm like, I have got to study so I can pass these tests. I'd done it my whole life. I spent, I had spent, you know, my whole life knowing I had to ace every test so that I could get the scholarships I needed that I could go to the college that I wanted to go to. So the blah, 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 okay? I knew I had to pass those tests. I'm like, I've got to study for my tests. I've got to memorize this. And, and I remember the test in, in my English class and in my biology class. And anyway, um, the thought came to me. There are tests, and then there are tests. Interesting. And I was like, what? Interesting. And it was, again, there are tests. And then there are tests. Wow. And I said, I, I get fine. it. I will pass the real test. And I watched Sarah do her cartwheels. 
And I let Katie bring in all of her stuffed animals, and I put Jonathan on my lap, and I read to him. I passed the biology test because I read to him from the biology book. (laughs) But I failed my English test, the first test I've ever failed in my life, probably the only test I've ever failed since. (laughs) I don't know. But at at school, you know, it's not true. I failed other tests. But I I failed that test. It, It really probably was one of the first tests I'd ever failed. And, um, but I passed the test, and I knew I passed the test, and it was hard the next day when I was not prepared for that test. It was, it was awful, but I was completely at peace, and I knew that I had passed the the test, and the same thing, but differently, happened to my sister, Katie, when she, um, she was at George with it was the second semester and she was on target she was doing awesome she was studying everything and then something horrible happened um with a relationship and someone who she loved very much disappeared and 3 weeks worth of studies there was when you're in a winter an emotional winter um there you can't nothing at school matters <laughs> Do you know what i mean they're just like say your mother died okay <laughs> your semester that semester is going to be shot, possibly, especially if it was unexpected. Do you know what I mean? There, There's time to mourn. Well, Katie had gone through this period, um, so lots of her studies were shot, and she came back to school, and she continued to study for the rest of the semester, but a huge bulk of what she was had planned on learning, she couldn't learn because God had another plan for her. She learned something totally different, Okay. So when it came time to take the oral exam, she, in her mentor meeting with Dr. DeMille, said, I will not be taking the oral exam. I'm not going to stand up there and fail in front of everybody. I already know I don't know it. And you know? he said, teach us what you've learned. And she said, I'm not I'm not going to be there. She said, I, I won't do it. And he, he respected it and said, okay. And so she, she was not going to go to orals that week. So it's the day of orals. She wakes up. And she gets underneath his hair prayers, <clears throat> or I don't know if she's doing her, she, I don't know, she just was up, and the thought came to her um, of what she was, she was pondering about what she was supposed to do that day. And the thought came to her, go and fail. And she's like, what? And it was, go and fail. And it was a feeling of urgency, because class had started. And so... Katie had no time to shower, had no time to do her makeup. She literally jumped out of her pajamas, put on her clothes, and flew to school. And on her way, she picked up another friend who also had told Dr. Mill she would not give her oral. Somehow she was there at the school or whatever, so they walked into the classroom, the two girls who said they would not be giving it. Dr. Mill saw them and called them up to the stage, to the front. And he proceeded to give Katie her orals. Okay, now something about Katie, she's she has a very similar um, ability that Tatiana has, and I I see it in in some of uh, it's an amazing, beautiful gift and ability, and that is that when you teach, the truth penetrates and touches hearts. And I I know that we've experienced that when we listen to Tatiana teach that. You know, it's not 10 seconds that your heart isn't touched for some reason. And um, my sister Katie has that same ability. And um, there was 
there was not one person who was listening who did who had a dry eye as she taught, okay, and as she went through the, these orals. And um, at the, it was beautiful. It was touching. It was amazing. It changed lives. And um, Dr. DeMille failed her. And some people were like, what? How could you fail that? How could you? And um, Katie knew she was supposed to go and fail, and she was so thankful that Dr. DeMille did his part and failed her because she passed that test. There are tests, and then there are tests. And she passed the test. She and had so the courage to go up and, and fail. fail. That's right. Wow. That is exactly right. I mean, there are you know, things. it's interesting because I think that many of uh, many people who have made great changes, I, I'm going to use Gandhi again, for, exi- for example, he, he, he failed. He failed over and over and over again. But he kept coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back because failure didn't stop him. That's right. What, what, with. what he knew was that he had something he had to do that was greater than the immediate moment. And besides that, it was defining him. We cannot, do not deny your students the opportunity to fail. And it's okay. It's That's totally right. okay. It's okay. And they are building their vocabulary so that they can think new thoughts. We are growing our ability to communicate with Sometimes each other. Sometimes failure is the lesson that they've learned, and then they haven't right. failed. They've succeeded. That's right, because there are tests, and then there are tests. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so let, let's go back to the re, to the recap. We're going to create an environment of, of freedom where failure is acceptable, uh, and we're going to uh, we're going to teach them vocabulary so that we're going to give them an opportunity to learn cal- vocabulary so that they can use learn how to use cab, the vocabulary so that what's the end goal? What's well, the very last What end happens goal? with their experience, because the experiences that they gain will give them the vocabulary, and then they can think the thoughts, then they can communicate by using it at a new level, and then they um, can communicate at a level that touches hearts. And they can have impact. That's right, and that is impact. So, you know, Tatiana knows all this language. She understands what they're saying now. She totally can see everything that they're teaching, and she disagrees with it. But the, true, the, the important part is that she, she knows what they're saying. She can see through it. Tatiana, are you still on the phone? Yeah. Okay, so tell, tell us the story of all the signs and stuff that they, they teach you and then what, you, what your whole about loving the students. Well, we just had like seven hours worth of training in this thing called Champs, and it's like like this program to teach them everything about like you know what your conversation should be because Champs is an acronym for like conversation. Um, the A stands for H. That, I mean, H stands for uh, help. Like if you need help, how you get help, and then the. Um, the A stands for activity, what you're going to be doing during this time period, and then 
the M stands for movement and the P stands for participation. So for like every single thing they do during the day, they have like a champs for it. So like if the teacher's teaching, this is your champs. This is how you behave. This is what you do. This is you know if if you have any group activity, this is your champs. This is what you do. We had like like seven hours worth of training in this, and like they had in this probably forty pages worth of handouts and just all this stuff about how to manage, how to manage, how to manage, how to manage your classroom. And and I was just sitting there completely blown away um, by the fact that the most horrible people in this world were managed, were not managed, but were, were inspired to, to control their human nature inside of them by one man, and all he did was love them. And here we are spending seven hours on techniques, but in reality... All it is is love. If a child knows that you love them, they're going to behave in a different manner. And, and then another thing hit my, because I was getting so bored, I decided that I was going to bring a little book to write all my ideas in and, and kind of like um, carry a dialogue with myself to try to figure out what I was supposed to learn from these seven hours of just garbage. And, <laughs> and, um, I kind of came to the realization that the whole world's treating the issue. We're all about the issue. We're all about the issue, and we never ever solve the the core problem with the child. And so the child never, never really ever corrects himself because the child's so confused and and can't and isn't allowed to fail. So he because through failure we find out what really is wrong with us. I mean, he'll go and make decisions, you know, get on drugs and do things that are really dr- drastic. So, I mean, basically it comes down to the point where, you know, you want them to be somewhere, you communicate that to them and you love them. Yeah. I just think that that's really an amazing thing that you've learned this week. Uh, Of all the things they've been teaching, all of a sudden you realize, oh, well, you guys are, you're all about the issue, and the bottom line is I need to love my students. And it just reiterated one more time, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. This is about love. Well, because you could see the form through the issues. Thank you, Tatiana. It's time for us to to go, and we are excited about all of your first weeks at class. And, and Tatiana, what an appropriate message to give. What an absolutely perfectly appropriate message to give. But if there's anything your students can feel at all each time they come into your classroom, anything they could come away with through the entire year. Tatiana is right that it is that you love them. I was at a business meeting with 3,000 people, and it was in Las Vegas. And these were savvy. This is a multi-million dollar business. And I was at this meeting, and my dad received the highest award of the company. And he missed going up on stage for it because we didn't know that's when he was getting it. And me and my five sisters um, had walked across town and were in need of being picked up. And um, we called and asked him to come get us. And he didn't know he was getting the award, and he left the meeting, and he came to pick us up. Um, And it was a really bad accident. We were... My mom had spent a couple thousand dollars to get us there to come support my dad at this thing, and we just felt sick inside to make him miss um, getting this award. And um, my brother Jonathan was sitting there when they announced my dad's name. And 
the turmoil, all the feelings that came through him, this, the anger that we had made, made my dad miss, that my dad wasn't there to see how much everybody loved him, that, you know, all this stuff was going through him as he walked onto the stage. This is a 22-year-old kid facing a global um, business, men and women who have degrees and um, are making lots of money, and this 22-year-old kid walks up on stage, and the president of the company hands him the award and says, will you speak? And he took the mic. So your your brother took the award for your father. Right, right. As my dad is across town helping us because we're lost, okay, <laughs> five the five girls. And he takes the award, and he looked out at them, and, and my brother says, he says, my dad deserves this award. And everyone just cheered crazy. They love my dad so much. And um, he says to them, I'm sorry that he can't be here. He's helping my sisters right now. And then he looks at them and he says, my dad loves you. And he points his finger at everybody and he says, he loves you. And that was it. He went and sat down. And we, when we found out that this had all happened, I mean, we were up until 2.30 in the morning in the hotel room just as a family because we were, felt horrible that we made Dad miss it. And we talked and we said, we don't understand, but we do not think it was an accident that this happened because we were not in the wrong place. It feels so weird. It hurt so bad. But for some reason it was supposed to happen, but we don't know why, Okay. So that was that was in front of about a thousand of the businessmen. The next day was the general assembly with three thousand people, and we had no idea this was going to happen. But an hour before the event ended, um, they called my dad up on stage again, and they said, "Jim Rhodes, we want you to see something." And they had these four humongous screens in the room so that three thousand people can see this. Okay, and. Up on stage was Jonathan once again, a 22-year-old kid, no degrees, no million dollars behind his name, okay? There he is, receiving the award for my dad and telling everyone there once again, my dad loves you. And um, the MC, the vice president of the company, said to my dad later, <clears throat> he said, Jim, I had every techie working to find that two-minute clip. It took them two hours. He said it was one of the most important things of the entire three-day event. Wow. Tatiana is right. People are starved for love. They are starved, and our students need to know that you love them. That is the most important thing that can happen in any classroom. And that you're not going to manipulate them, that you're going to let them be free, that, that you're going to be accepting of their failures, that, that they're going to fire them to great heights. <laughs> and that you want them to discover their own genius and that right. you want them to be great because you love them. That's right. And they will feel it. I can't remember what educational book it is. It's one on classroom management and it's a very popular book and it talks about all these things and the bottom line that it says is your students will know if you love them. 
it is unspoken, but they will know it. And um, <laughs> and it's very true. And we will end with this. It's 9.30, and we hope that you know how much we love you. Because we do. We love working with you. And we, all of our trainers um, look forward to getting your emails and communicating with you, and we hope that you feel loved in all of our communication this year. Tiffany, I, I just want to I want to add to that. I, I have to tell you all, and some of you know this about me, some of you don't, most of you don't. I'm not a student. I don't like studying. I don't read very well. It takes me a long, long time to comprehend things. And I want you to know that it is very painful for me to be a scholar, probably more painful than most of you. But, and, and, I, and I have some of my very difficult moments that I want to quit, and I have a lot of times that I'll say, Tiffany, I have to be done now. I want to quit now because I'm not having any fun. This isn't any fun for me. But every time I consider quitting, I think about all of the people that I love so much that are taking this journey with me. You motivate me to keep going. And I want to thank you all for that. And I hope that Tiffany and I can motivate you to keep going this year. Thank you so much for all the sacrifices you make. Thank you for loving us. We can feel it. That's right. Okay. Thank you, everybody. We can say goodbye and hang up. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.